0: come and you hear me here I come walking in the room walking in the room and sitting down in front of the mic. Wow. wow. Let's talk to my friend Max.
1: Hello. <laughs> That's like a Sam Sperlin uh, musical. Yeah.
0: Do you yeah, sing a lot? I watched, Walk I watched Hamilton a couple weeks ago, so Still riding that, might have some lingering Hamilton in my bloodstream. Yeah, I've heard people diagnosed with that lingering Hamilton. Yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it can be it can be pretty dire.
1: Yeah, I'm sure Emily gets it too. Yeah. Hey Max, are we starting?
0: Uh, sure. I think we just kind
1: of go for it. Do you um do you have a theme song for us this week? I don't. I thought I thought the little jingle you just did was our song. I guess it is. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. I think if we try and keep singing more songs, uh, either people are gonna really hate it, or it's gonna become un- unsustainable, and we're gonna run out of things to, to jingles I think to it's do. What I think it's what people enjoy the most. I some people turn it off actually. As soon as the song's done,
0: people are done. I think That's so. what the
1: stats. That's probably okay. what the stats say.
0: Yep. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fields of Work, a podcast about brothers and work. I am a brother named Sam and i am max we, we are brothers <laughs> it's been a little while man we, uh, it's been two weeks weeks a couple weeks, couple weeks. Yep. yep 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 what's going on at the farm Or oh, yeah are we
1: starting wait check-in round oh i forgot how to do this thing uh, is what happens thing? man i don't you know we don't record every every week we fall out of rhythm here uh, yeah. do you have any do you have any check-in round question you've been do using wanna recently just, you guys
0: want to give me a number
1: uh yeah we'll do 87. 87.
0: here we go we're pulling Hopefully up we haven't done the that old... before uh here we go
1: who do you admire the most Uh Sam well I'm I'm just lucky enough to do a podcast with them you know <laughs> <laughs> you're getting a bonus this week <laughs> woohoo man can't wait um wow I mean uh do you have something off the top of your head to go first I feel no. like no uh, not a it's not a question that i love i don't love that question give me give me another number all right that was that was your birth year i thought maybe we were on to something for like a real knockout question
0: yeah Um, your birth year what birth year 2009 96 shut up come on Ninety six.
1: okay 2009
0: if you had a theme song that played whenever you walk into a room full of people what would you
1: want it to be um uh, thank god i'm a country boy by john denver that'd be great that's the you know what song that is song from You're Not a Country Boy. Well, I think it's fell a little fitting of my lifestyle now. What do you I think it should be? this? I suppose. it is. I what, what, it what is. you me, What do you want me to? What do you want my song uh, to be? What I want. Old McDonald. Okay, so we went <laughs> down a similar vein there.
0: <laughs> Your song's just worse. Mine was a little bit more on the nose. A little bit, yeah. What about you? Do you this know is... the song Carmina Barana?
1: I don't. I don't know if I do. Car- What's that? Can Here, you, can Hold you spell on. it?
0: You know that really hype um yeah orchestral yeah. song i think yeah, i like Dude, your I version a lot that. i would love I, would, it. I, would, I don't know why i went <laughs> so high on it because like, you can actually do it yeah. quite low uh yeah i think it but works at all i lactose. will sing that to myself all the time really okay. wow that's always okay asking it is it it's always so that epic it's so epic it's it's yeah. almost like like final fantasy 7 music And it just makes me feel like a badass um, hero guy. Emily just texted me the laughing, crying emoji because I think she heard me (laughs) just do
1: that. (laughs) I'm sure she heard you. It's better than her yelling during our podcast to tell you that she heard it. Um, So do you imagine that that's kind of how epic your life is? Yeah. Or is it more of an aspirational? No, I
0: guess I think that's what my life is. I think I'm just a walking, um, you know, monks chanting i don't actually know what that what they're singing about or anything it just sounds really cool you know what fun fact right before the pandemic we emily and i we had gotten a gift certificate to the some performing arts center here in dc and we were going to go see some like group do
1: that that like the the carmina Burana. so you never got a chance to see it Nope. Um, is that maybe the is that the biggest heartbreak so far of the pandemic Cause that's like probably. That, I feel like you would have you would have really liked that. <laughs> I feel like I should probably,
0: um, like, if I was good at editing, I should just. Oh, here, can you hear this?
1: No, probably not. It's only in my I headphones, isn't thing. it? Yeah, I can't hear a darn thing. All right, hold on. I think your I think your version was good. I think people, if they don't know the song that you're talking about, <laughs> I think that's you know they've been under a rock because it's a pretty famous. Uh, okay. Well, as so you're saying, that I was able to. I nailed it. Okay, then with my my voice. Yeah, it it took me a second. Like when you went that high, I was like, "What
0: is he doing?" That's a little yeah.
1: yeah, I think I liked the higher version more, actually, to I'm being <laughs> honest. <laughs> I brought more
0: energy, I think, to the higher one. Anyway, <laughs> I feel fully, fully checked in at this point. Me too. Everybody else has checked out of this podcast <laughs> at the moment. So sure let's have. kind of jump into it. What are we doing? Are we doing updates first? Are we talking about the rest of Aaron's video first? What do you want to do? Yeah, let's.
1: we'll do Aaron's video, even though it's been a while, if anyone else decides to watch it. Quick, maybe, because I don't maybe they remember it very well anymore because it's been many well, weeks. It's, well, here it is. Here's the thing. I, only thing I really wanted to do is I'm going to ask you some questions that you know I thought about while watching the video. So you okay. don't have to remember anything because you live this every day with your company. Okay. Um, yes. So it'll be easy for you. Yes. Um, I think last time a couple of things we talked about was the fact that um, you know, kind of an experiment culture, and I was kind of asking how you know if that was something that was just kind of
0: in the ready, whether that for, was me know, bringing that to the ready, kind or of, if it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but um, we discussed that, that was kind of just like it's always kind of been there as a thing that you guys do. Um, I think the other thing we talked about was a little bit about the constraint-based system. You know, kind of do whatever you want unless you know told no or otherwise. You know, it's kind of like you know. You, yeah, I don't you think we really told. talked
0: about it at all. But yeah, I mean the idea. Basically, we operate under the assumption that anybody can do anything unless we have mm-hmm. a rule that says you can't. Um, or like a, a guardrail that says that yep. you can't, uh, because we we all know what we're trying to do. We um, trust each other to be adults and not do silly things. And if you're not sure about something, asking
1: for advice is always uh, very welcome. And then, I don't know, the, the last bullet point that we would have gotten to before I, we did the second half of the video would have been, um the the whole idea of the way you guys do staffing and i I think this is just interesting the the marketplace as you called it the marketplace for staffing where it's kind of a little bit like free agency and like if someone has time or wants to jump on a project you can kind of like you know see if they want to join the project that you just that you are starting or that you are thinking about um taking on and Mm. i my main question was well you can describe a little bit but also i was just curious like if, you, if that was the thing you were trying to apply to another company, is that a thing that's a lot harder to scale as the company is a lot bigger? Let's say not at the ready, but let's say you you were actually at a client and they're interested in that idea, but they're a pretty large company. Is it hard to kind of create that marketplace or is it still kind of work? you think? I don't know if there's it, experiments yeah. or things that have been done before, but...
0: I have not personally worked on a project where that has been the nature of the experiment, but I know others have. And I think in some ways having a larger let me just back up a second and just briefly explain what you were referring yep. to there. So the way typical consulting companies um, staff projects is that essentially you have people whose job it is is to monitor how the, the excess capacity in the organization and essentially match people to new projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we do instead is we call it, it's our you know our talent marketplace. Essentially, we have people who we call project stewards who are building kind of leading projects and they need to build a team to do the work. And it's up to them to essentially go out into our system and talk to people who are looking for work, um, who may be coming off of one project because it's ending and are looking to start a new thing. Um, sometimes it's a matter of hiring someone new into the organization. Um, We actually have a pool of people who we've already vetted that project stewards can go to. But essentially, it's a two-way marketplace. So nobody can compel anyone else to work on something. Um, And at the same time, you're also not guaranteed to work on things. like You have to... You have to have a positive reputation in the the system to where other people want to work with you and other factors come into play too how much money you make because each project has to hit a certain margin which means after Mm -hmm. we pay the people who are working on the project a certain amount has to come back to the ready so you can't necessarily build a team of the most expensive people in in the system. Um, But it's worked out well for us. You know, it it results in teams full of people who are working on things that they more or less want to be working on. Um, And there's, you know, some positive social pressure to be a good teammate, because if you are terrible, nobody will want (laughs) to work with you again, and then you're not going to be making your actual consulting rate when you work at the ready. Um, mm-hmm. So all of that works really well for us, and in our system because we're relatively small, like just over twenty people, it's a um, it's like a social system. It's primarily done, like you we all know each other, we all talk to each other a lot, we're all aware of what is going on. So there's not a lot of tooling needed to make this happen. I mean, we have some like spreadsheets and some other visualizations that show availability, uh, but really it's a matter of just like going and talking to people. This basic Mm -hmm. idea though can be used in other contexts. It doesn't just have to be uh, consulting companies or other sort of agencies. Any situation where you have a, a bunch of work to be done and a pool of people to deploy against it, Um, There's opportunities to build teams in more of a marketplace way instead of somebody um, essentially having to build those teams uh, from the top down. And the thing I was going to say at the beginning is that in some ways having larger uh, groups of people actually makes it easier as as long as you have mechanisms for – understanding the pool of talent that we're looking at here. So if there's yep. 200 people, you can't know everyone, but so you need ways to be able to filter that group to see like who's good at what, who wants to do what. And, and to a certain extent, you don't even need to do that all that much as long as you have, if you're truly doing a marketplace and it's a matter of people opting into the things that they, they want to work on. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, very rarely... Would you be in a situation where it's purely opting into stuff? There's always going to be various constraints. Like, you know, for us, I said, you know, the money and the the kind of the skill set. Um, but it's just an interesting idea that can be done in, in more places. Like you don't have to do. Everything in organizations where somebody is kind of like directing people to to various uh, areas, and also you know it's not a panacea; it's not going to work in every situation. Yeah, but it can be um, it can be interesting, and people feel it, it generally feels very different than what they're used to in generally a positive way uh, as well. So people get stoked
1: behind the or stoked about the idea. The other nice thing too is it's not like. You know, I think like a lot of organizations, you have your team, like it's you and four other people, and then you get assigned projects and it's your team taking on this new project. I mean, your teams change from project to project, you know, depending for this, it sounds like, you know, you could decide yeah. that you're working mm-hmm. with these three people and who knows the next time you might work with those people again, um, unless you guys end up on the same project that you're both passionate about or interested in. It's kind of, it sounds like it's a nice way to um, mix up who you work with. And, and maybe if you do really like working with somebody, you can kind of, you know, Factor that in as you're choosing, hopefully, which project or in the future that you're going to work on. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure, cool. it's
0: it's both sides of it because I've worked with different people on every project that I've worked on at the ready. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I enjoy all my colleagues. None of those have been bad experiences by by any means. But there are some people who I guess work better with. And the next time that I am stewarding a project, you know, I'm going to like go to them first and see if they're interested, if they're available. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it just m- makes for a more pleasant, uh, working experience. The other thing, just to kind of throw onto the table real quick, the other reason we do it this way is one of the ways we decide
1: whether or not to take on work is whether or not we can build a team of people who want to work on it. So I was, yeah, I was going to say that that was one thing I was going to bring up was just I remember when Aaron mentioned that I found that kind of interesting that, that you yeah. guys have had people reach out to you before, but if not enough people are actually interested in in the company or what they want you to do or just the project yeah. in general, like you guys just turn it down.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Cause nobody else can compel anyone to work on a, a thing. And even if we had a, you know, a potential client come to us who I personally find distasteful, if I have colleagues who are mm-hmm. willing to take on that, that work, I don't necessarily have a right to tell them that they shouldn't. Um, so yeah, it's, it's worked out well for us. I'm sure we will continue to find new and interesting wrinkles
1: to it as we as we get larger. But so far, it's working well. This might be, this might be too personal of the, a company question, and it probably hasn't happened, but has there ever been a point where a company has come to you guys and um, people want to take on the project and others don't, and the ones that don't are kind of bothered by the fact that people... Let's say, like, on my random example I would pull is, like, a company that's fairly hated online would be, like, Nestle. If Nestle came to you and yeah. wanted you guys to do something for them, you know, that's a pretty polarizing company when people settle on like you know environmental things or some people see them as a way to maybe change that company i'm curious if that would ever become an actual issue if a company um wants you guys to work for them and and, and your company kind of splits on it
0: well we've had we've had that experience already in that we've had we have done work with multiple defense contractors um Mm -hmm. and those are ethically fraught decisions to to make. And the folks who have worked on those projects have been pretty transparent about their reasons for taking on that work. And I don't think everybody, there are definitely people in the company who did not want to work on those projects, but they respected the way that those folks came to their decisions. And um, that was kind of the end of it. I don't think those folks are like getting shade
1: thrown at them uh, or anything. So... Gotcha. Um, okay. So the one that I think most people, and I think Aaron even mentioned this, find probably the most interesting. And I guess we can talk about it in some detail because he doesn't – you guys are very transparent about this. And that's your guys' whole pay, your whole pay, mm-hmm. the way that you compensate mm-hmm. yourself as uh, employees and as a company. Okay. So I feel like I can say some of these numbers. You don't have to tell us your personal numbers, but the numbers mm-hmm. that he shares. Um, so you know, basically – and you can describe this better. But uh, if you work for The Ready, you get paid a $58,000 a year member – is to become basically a member of the ready if you're working for the company, and he said that was determined based on what it costs to live at you know, and maybe the most expensive of the locations that. Um, yeah,
0: that's the um, minimum amount
1: you can have a. I, I don't know the correct
0: language specifically. Yeah, but he Basically, like, in New York, it's the minimum either exempt or non-exempt like salary that you can like pay someone. Gotcha, and then and that and that is for basically we all get that. And to receive that, you essentially owe the ready a couple hours a week of just like our normal stuff. So that's nothing to do with client things, but just the internal work, um, roughly, you know, 10, 12 hours a week of um, doing stuff for the ready
1: entitles you to that, whether or not you're on a client project. Exactly. So there's some people that might just be kind of like you know, loose members in the sense that they are, you know, fulfilling those hours, but maybe not on as many projects as somebody else who is a full-time consultant. But um, the thing that I actually had a question about, so then what adjusts your pay, as you talked about, is that you're you're on a project, Um, you know, those projects we talked about it before are determined by, you know, there's a budget, yada, yada. But also the thing that I found interesting, I'm kind of curious if you could describe a little bit of how it plays in is that the idea of the compensation stack, which is essentially I'm broken down the way I would say it is, the skills, the talents, the experiences that you have in consulting, and I'm sure there's a lot of different things that could play into this. Um, it's not necessarily just experience, but those things have different values assigned to them, and kind of determines what you get paid added on above the 58 thousand that you get to be a member is that kind of loosely like correct
0: loosely yeah loosely that's correct i think you the way you described it there makes it sound like we have more structure in place than we actually do uh, the mm-hmm. actual thing that we do is just uh we call it our default rate so you make mm-hmm. your default rate when you are on a client project mm-hmm. um And we all set our own default rate transparently. And we take things like you, that list of stuff that you just mentioned into consideration. Also, you know, what we could make at a, out in the market, like at another company that comes into play. And it's certainly not, A science. We also have a bunch of um, internal research that we've done on what comparable kind of experience levels make at various other sort of consulting firms that um, do similar ish work that we do. And essentially, Mm -hmm. each member is responsible for kind of self-examining their experience and their skills and their talents. And there are various kind of check, various questions that we have laid out where you kind of rate yourself on these various things. You look at What you would make in the market, potentially, you look at what comparable people within the ready have set their rates at. And we have a process where we ask for advice from at least two other people who know your work. And um, we set our own number there. So nobody can say whether you whether you have to go up or down, you can get advice that someone will say like, "Hey, you know, Based on what I've seen you do and, you know, these, this other data, I think you should raise it a little bit or I think you're maybe a little bit overpaid on that, um, mm-hmm. which is those are interesting conversations to have. And most people in companies don't have those. So I think we've had to get better at talking about about money and. Um, and then we just have it all listed in a transparent spreadsheet, uh, essentially, and we all know what each other makes. And again, kind of coming back to our reputational system, um, like you, you, you don't want to be perceived as not being worth what you what you have set yourself at. Um, mm-hmm. Just in the sense of like, if you are going to be expensive, that means I can't have like, I can't have two expensive people on a project. So that means I'm going to be bringing somebody in more, who is maybe younger, less experienced, newer to the ready. And, you know, is that what something I want to do as a pro- you know, That's potentially more work. So basically, yeah, I mean, we all, um, we're all very aware of what each other makes. And I, I mean, I, we've been doing this now for a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually, I really like it. Now, the whole idea behind it is that We wanted to make it such that money, like, we all make what we want to make so we can, like, not worry about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that is purely how it has shaken out. I feel like it kind of has for me, at at least. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, um, and I feel like I'm very well paid. Um, I think others maybe have struggled with it uh, a little bit more cause it is a really amorphous thing. And I do think as we move forward, we need more, we need to create more guidance for people coming into our system about yeah. setting up, figuring out, helping them set themselves in relation to each other. And like, in real, like if you can do like these types of skills at this level of mastery, then be thinking about this sort of, of range, mm-hmm. um, and then the only other thing is that we also have some internal roles where the vast yeah. majority of us are all consultants doing mostly consulting work, but we do have some key internal roles that a few of us hold and those have um rates uh, attached to them. So you can move above and
1: beyond. Can you give an example or two? That's one of the questions I had down was a couple like example of a key role. Like what is something is that like you said the newsletter is now actually you guys hire outside. Or yeah, actually just the radio hired radio.
0: someone who um, holds a role now called. Um, I'm just pulling up our list of roles called. I think it's content strategist, but part of that is yeah.
1: she writes the uh, the newsletter now. So that's a key. So for example, that's a, a key role essentially that yep. you know of the content strategist. Like, um, so that has a pay and compensation associated with it as well, in yep, the sense exactly. that because you might not be on as many projects or any projects at all if you're mostly an internal you know Aaron right, mentions that he's exactly. mostly yep.
0: internal you know yeah exactly so we hear some like some of the so we have a, a series of hiring roles that i'll have uh, some money attached to them like one of the roles is a we call it the screener but it's a handful of people who look at the applications who are coming in and i think it's a couple mm-hmm. hundred bucks a month for for doing that work um it's being slow right now as i try to open um, it. but that and yeah. um Some training roles that people are holding, onboarding role, uh, things of of that nature, all these key roles. And some key roles don't actually have any money attached to them. If they're not going to take a ton of time, um, then it's not worth kind of figuring out.
1: uh, It it basically just kind of falls under our normal member rate. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it seems like, I mean, obviously, this whole idea of transparency, I'm sure if someone started to pitch that, hey, this is actually taking... This many hours per week currently. I'm, you know, whether it's there's yeah. more uh, applicants coming in than you had to screen originally, or whether that's they add somebody else in, or you can increase the pay. It seems like you know it's a very flexible thing yeah. that if for any reason you felt like, wait a minute, I'm not actually being compensated for my time anymore, um, yep. or properly, you know, you could have that discussion pretty easily. So how oh, yeah, often sure. does that come up at the retreats, or when do you guys kind of like discuss that kind of stuff? Would that be a Friday the, meeting, or like, which which like, things the that- Let's just the, say, like, uh, if you decided, oh, okay. yeah, like pay things. Like, I know, like, that might be like a, I don't know if there's an internal committee that that kind of conversation happens with, or if it, you know, yeah. if it came up that there was some type of issue with it, whether it's you think something like that, you know, where you're, maybe it needs uh, an increase in compensation because it's becoming a bigger workload. Is that a, yeah something you could bring up in a monthly meeting, or is that like a retreat situation?
0: No, so the, the default rate setting happens, obviously, when you join the organization, yeah. like you have to set your rate. And then the idea is that once a year, we do kind of the market research to update all of our data. And then there's mm-hmm. a, a, a you know, people can propo- propose like new default rates. The other thing that I should say about default rates is that you always have the right to take on, to join a project at lower than your default rate. So if so let's mm-hmm. say someone was building a project around a client that I really want to work with and there's no way they could just bring me on at my full default rate, if I'm okay making less money, I can say like, Hey, yeah. you know, I'll pay me half my default rate and I'll be a member of this team. Cause I just really care about what I want about this thing here. And then on yeah. the flip side as well, if you are working across multiple projects you can actually, you can end up um, making basically 150% of your default rate across those two projects. So if you're saying, hey, I'm gonna take on a bunch of extra work because I wanna make some more money, yeah. then you can do that. And that's what I did for a while on my project when we were selling a bunch internally and we weren't able to hire fast enough. My partner and I said, hey, let's just put this on our shoulders. Let's make our lives miserable for a little while make some extra money. Yeah. And like it ended up being best for us and for the the ready. But the other yeah, yeah. stuff that you were talking about is what we would do at, a, we would call it a governance meeting. And it happens okay. once a month. And anybody can bring a proposal or a proposal can be either a new role or a new agreement or an edit to an existing agreement or, or role. And we have a process where we consider those proposals and give feedback on them and then make a decision on them in, in that governance
1: meeting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like just two comments. One, I could like you mentioned before, I could see how it'd be really intimidating potentially to join the ready, and then yeah. you open this spreadsheet and they say, hey, this is what everyone is making. <laughs> um, where do you think you fall? And it's just like, oh yeah. man, like I've never, you know, especially when you have never worked for a company like this, which is I think fairly, you know, yeah. common you, that you don't work for a company that talks about money this way. I could see how me being the person I am, I would probably come in way under what potentially the market value for myself is because yeah. i'm like oh i don't you know i don't i believe i'm new here i shouldn't be paid but you know some of these other people are being paid and you've mentioned that before that just because somebody is hired you know just because you've been at the ready a while doesn't mean that if you hire somebody in who's new but they actually have a ton of experience in consulting and have been doing it for a long time yeah that they're that their value or that they're what they should get paid isn't you know it could be more than you and i can yeah. see how you know that can kind of make things feel a little weird for people as you know so I, yeah, I I experience this one a lot because I have been at the
0: ready the longest, other than Aaron, and mm-hmm. I don't make the most money at the ready. And we very frequently yeah. hire people who make either just about what I make or more than than I make because it's yeah, yeah they've had long careers doing this type of work other places and mm-hmm. they should come in at a at a, a higher rate. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you just I've I've, I've had to. Really level up my ability to like talk about money without getting my emotions too wrapped up in it. Um, by this whole process that we've we've undertaken, and it's always a yeah. a work in um, work in progress. But I I, I like the system so far. It feels it feels good that it's I'm not waiting for somebody else to like notice that I'm doing a good job and to like, give me a raise. You know, cause for yeah. example. I think it was probably about six or eight months ago. I bumped up my default rate for the first time in in a little while. And, you know, it was a I got advice from people based on how well the project had been going and the, the skills that I had developed. And I, I raised my default rate and nobody's giving me guff about it. I'm still yeah. still doing <laughs> doing work. Um, and it was nice to to get that. And, and I'm sitting here now feeling like I don't. I don't feel any stress or tension around my current rate. Like I'm gonna be fine, kind of hanging out where I am here for a, yeah. I think a while as I continue to build skills. And then something, either will either we will develop some some new documentation that to help um, provide some guidance around when to think about raising your your default rate, or mm-hmm. you know because it's a marketplace. If I if I have people trying to get me on projects a lot. Um, if there's more work than I can do, then that's a signal in a market that your price is too low. Um, yeah. so that, you know, I could consider raising my, my rate then, but right
1: now, um, yeah. all is good. Yeah. Two things. One is it does make me think of like you said, you don't have that stress cause you feel, you know, but it makes me think of like uh, an NHL player signing a huge contract and then I wonder <laughs> like, and then they don't perform, you know, yeah. like, I wonder if like, I mean, I'm sure that's a very stressful situation to be an NHL player that just got, you know, a huge, five year contract at you know, 6 million a year. And now you're not playing. I tell you right now, my rate well. is not 6 million. A year. <laughs> well, I
0: know, I know. I'm just saying that, that <laughs> idea, that stress. Well, um, the, nice, the nice thing yeah. is with our system. I mean, it's also a stressful thing is that you only make your default rate when you're on a project. So yeah, if that's you true. can't get on a project, no, it doesn't matter how much your default rate is. You ain't making it.
1: You're only making your, your member rate. And can you change that at any point? Let's say like you're like, wow, I'm really not getting accepted onto any projects. I must be way too high. Like, does it matter? Can you change your rate at yeah, any point? Yeah, you can always you I can mean,
0: always you I mean, even if you don't officially
1: change your rate down, you can, you take, can tell them that you can that, join yeah. a project at a at a lower at a lower yeah. rate. I do really like that's the other thing. I mean, I like this whole idea of the the, the pay and compensation. A little hard for me to apply on a one person farm, but yeah. uh, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but I really I do really like the idea that the the, the marketplace kind of can contr- has a sense of control over like people being ridiculous i think when you tell people this yeah. idea you say you know you set your pay people are like oh people are going to set their pay ridiculously high well no because the second that they do that no one's going to accept them onto their project you know it's yeah it's and idea reputationally like
0: you are shooting yourself in the foot if you come mm-hmm. in and like act like a huge dick and suddenly make yourself like w- so much higher paid than everybody else like and you don't have the skills to back it up. Like that's just yeah. – it's just – it's reputational suicide to do something like that. And on a, since yeah. in, a, in an organization where your reputation is really important, like you're not going to
1: last very long. Yeah. That's cool. I think – yeah, we talked a lot about that one, but that is the one that even Aaron mentioned. It's, it's like – Yeah, it's, oh, the wait, it's, it's a weird one. It's a weird one, but I think it's sure. cool to get out there and the idea of it and, and for people to kind of hear – um, something that's fairly radical about the company you work for. Yeah, I mean, so we've we'll, definitely
0: we'll... never done this with a client. Like, of all the things yeah. that we do, this is a, a much more radical than than a lot yeah. of a lot of stuff. Because in, there are plenty of industries where this is, would be tough to, to make it work. Although, I mean, there are things like um, Morningstar, which is a tomato processing uh, organization, mm-hmm.
1: where they yep. um, set their own um, compensation uh, as well. That's cool. I think there's yeah. one of those. Uh, maybe it's a different name. There's one in Ohio that you drive past an I-75. I think it might be owned by Morningstar. Um, okay. But anyways, we'll uh, we'll blow through the the last like two questions I have. Yeah, yeah, and then um, we'll see, get into our other stuff. One is just, I mean, he talked a lot about the initiatives. We've talked a lot about initiatives because of retreats. It's come up yep. before. Uh, remind me, are you on a current initiative from your last retreat? Yeah, the ready, the
0: ready journalist. i essentially. That's right, that's right working with project teams to write articles about cool stuff that they're doing. Right. Okay. And cool. Paying going myself well? uh Some money for each one that I write. Uh, yeah. It's, um, I am deep into writing a case study about one of our projects that involves like interviewing an executive multiple times and the project mm-hmm. team. And it is a lot of work and I'm intimidated by it, but I'm hopeful that it's going to come out good um, I also wrote something. I basically took something that I wrote for one of my, um, clients in the last couple of weeks and I turned that into an article. I think I'm going to give myself credit for it. Maybe I'm going to give myself credit if I don't have enough other articles. Um, <laughs> because I did one. Yeah. I mean, it is the type of thing where like, I felt like I had the time to actually do that work because of this initiative, but it wasn't yeah. me necessarily pulling it out of other people. It was me pulling it out of myself. Um, but you and are, part, I've of, got, you are yeah. part of the ready, though, and you that's, are on yeah, projects. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, that's true. So I think I should give myself credit for that. So that yeah, should actually be published uh, next week, uh,
1: I think. And then I've got very early stages of a couple other ones. Cool. Well, uh, you'll keep sharing on that, and I think those are – I think the case study yeah. kind of stuff is really – I feel like for me as an outside viewer who knows quite a bit about like what you do, I think is the most interesting. Um, yeah. It'll come up in one of my other questions. But I feel like those are the kind of things that really let people see into – like. All right, what sure. is it that you guys practice at a place? Um, yeah. Yep. So,
0: yep. Well, those both – everything needs to be done by like the middle of June. So okay, month and a half we'll or a
1: little bit – two months left. We'll, we'll talk about it when they're out. Um, yep. And I just – one other comment I had was that this whole idea of initiatives is really – it kind of – we've talked about this before with farming. But it really mirrors a thing that I do on a farming scale all the time is you know there are lots of – essentially per season if that is kind of our – um if my rotation, is sense, you know, instead of, you mm-hmm. know, uh in your guys' retreat, you know, three times a year. Um I mean you know, which are I three do... times a year are kind of like seasons. It's close, yeah. I mean it really is. I mean, so you know, especially depending on the the crop, you know, there's a lot of little experiments that I do on the farm as well. You know, whether mm-hmm. that is you choosing just straight up plant varieties and trying to mess around with different plant varieties, trying to mess around with the way that you trellis hoop house tomatoes, the thing like there's a lot of things yep. that really are Essentially, initiatives kind of um, that I am choosing by myself or with my boss, or we sit down and yeah, talk about it. Yeah, you're making
0: our, bets basically. That's, yeah, that's and, what an initiative
1: yeah, is. And if it and if it pays off, and it's a thing that you think is worth yep. working into the the yearly rotation, it becomes the new way. You know, the way yep. that I've done trellising tomatoes so many times in hoop houses at other farms to the point where I'm like, this is at least for me. When I came to this farm, and I'm finally controlled. This is what I want to try which is something I've done before was an initiative kind of there and now I'm taking it and continuing with it. And then if it doesn't work, I'll readdress it next year when I get another chance. Well, that's Um, where
0: our permanent hiring and training kind of functions and processes came from. You know, now we mm -hmm. have people who are just working on that all the time, but the very early stages of those systems were initiatives that we did for a couple of retreats in a row, and they got to a pretty solid place, and we were able to create some
1: permanent roles uh, around them. So yeah, very similar uh, thing. Cool. So maybe um, a fun idea will be I can maybe one of these days, and it's usually probably better early in the season but I probably still could do it now is to come up with like some quote unquote initiatives that I am trying to tackling this season um, for me to think about the farm and what are the couple of the the projects that I've taken on as yeah. experiments and then maybe to come back and address them the way that we do with some of your month long challenges and things like that because um, there are things that I think about all the time when I'm farming and by myself and at the end of the day when I'm reflecting um, but it's rare that you know I bring something to the table I'm like all right this is actually you know this is the parameters of what I'm trying This is how I'll know if it works. If it doesn't work, you should actually write it down. Yeah. So that's what, as we get closer
0: to uh, our June retreat, I'll be trying to capture, you know, whatever initiative ideas have been bouncing around. I try to do a good job of just noting them down as different mm -hmm. ideas come up during the the trimester. So hopefully I'll remember to to bring them here. Maybe we could talk about what I'm thinking as well. Sweet. Um,
1: that'd be a good theme for a whole episode. Um, yeah. All right, my last one, my last question that came from this talk is, and that doesn't necessarily come from that, it's just kind of a question I've always had, which is what, I mean, so you you, you take in a lot of um, information, whether that's articles and other things, and I'm kind of curious about, like, what companies, writers, people, things that do you look to for, whether that's inspiration, motivation, Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, there's so much out there, but it seems like you're always, and especially since I'm a reader of the deliberate, I see a mm-hmm. lot of these things. Like, where are you pulling all this stuff from? How are you introduced to these these sources that you get things from? I realize this could be a whole episode of just the podcast because <laughs> yeah. you do take in a lot, and I know that's uh, you read a ton and things like that. Um, but like mm-hmm. in a basic way, sure. what is the way that you know whether it's companies, cons- other consulting firms, individuals, books, yeah. writers? I don't know. Like where's I? Yeah, I used to have a very simple answer to
0: this, which was Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. <laughs> that following people in who are doing this work or are, you know, thought leaders in this work, you see the stuff that they're sharing and that just sends you down various rabbit trails and it was always easy to find articles, um, and, and other resources. Uh, now that I'm not on Twitter anymore, part of the answer is that I'm actually just consuming a lot less, um, mm-hmm. And I think that has mostly been actually pretty pretty good for me. Um, I have I think one thing that I have learned about myself is that I can use. Consumption of information under the guise of research or just learning um, as a crutch to not develop my own thinking um, or Mm -hmm. create my own stuff, do my own writing. So part of the last couple of months has been deliberately stepping back from how much I was consuming of other people's stuff to try to make some space for me to make my own. That being said, um, I read a ton and... I mean, where do I I, basically? I'm always anytime I hear about a book that sounds like it might be interesting or up my alley, I'll just throw it on a a list in Goodreads, basically, um, of books that I want to read. And I always, as soon as I finish a book, I start the next one. And I don't really have a process behind it other than Mm -hmm. just kind of scrolling through that list and grabbing whatever looks interesting. Um, And sometimes. Sometimes that means I read a bunch of nonfiction in a row. Sometimes it means I'm in more of a fiction place. But book-wise, I feel like I just kind of – I don't I don't really have a system other than just always making sure that I'm being aware of interesting things that I could read and then just having that list ready to go when it's time to pick something new. Um, mm-hmm. I mean as far as like specific people, there's all sorts of um, – various writers online and otherwise who are doing interesting things in this space. And if you read their stuff, then you become aware of the books that they are citing or the thinkers that they are citing. And then you kind of become aware of them and you read their stuff and you start um, kind of just following that, that path and you kind of create this web of writers and thinkers who are all in this basic space um, and that's I'm actually in the last couple of weeks trying to be much more deliberate about capturing notes on these things as I go along because I'm really I'm a fast reader, but I don't really I have not traditionally taken notes on nonfiction mm-hmm. that I that I uh, read um, and I will occasionally do some stuff like highlighting or making comments within the text but very rarely. I um, am trying to change that up now and actually create a uh, kind of a digital garden of my own notes on the stuff that I'm reading so that when I sit down to write or create something, I can already have a bunch of raw material that I've thought through and made already started making connections
1: so that I can I can do that a little bit more easily. I don't know if that answered your question, but. No, I, th- I think it does. I was going to say, you know, n- not just to like selfishly plug things that we do, but I do feel like if people are actually curious about, especially for you, is they should they should join the deliberate newsletter. Because I think every time that you throw in all those links, for me, you know, I can see patterns, but it's just a, a glimpse into like what you're reading, um, what you're pulling inspiration from, what kind of things are, you know, what kind of things are you interacting with on a day-to-day level? Um, that obviously play into your work because there's always usually a tie-in to your work. Um, So I feel like that's a good example. The other thing I was going to say, and this is going to be like real cliche or sound really tacky, but I feel like it sounds like when you, are the point that you're at now with trying to create your, you know, do more writing, be more deliberate about what you take in. It seems like, uh, especially now that you're off Twitter, but you are less of the kind of person, and not that you don't read, but less of the person that's sitting there and looking for great articles that are written by other people and trying to be the person that's writing those articles. You know, I think that's a perspective change from when, you know, if you're new into a field for me, like I am yeah. reading and taking in a lot about farmers on my scale. And, you know, at a certain point, if I feel like I have those ideas or I want to take the next step, I would ideally be the one writing those things that other people are reading. And it yeah. seems like that's a little bit, I mean, you've always been doing writing, but it seems like that's a little bit of a a shift mentally or internally for you that, you know, you want to be putting out these high quality um, yeah. articles and longer pieces that other people are turning to to read, you know. That will yeah, pop up on their, they'll pop up on their weekly newsletters but they uh, share it to other people. <laughs> yeah, I mean
0: ideally that's that's the dream. I mean I've, I've been thinking about that a decent amount and it's interesting. I am um, cuz I think early on before I knew of before I knew of this work or this world even before I really went to grad school, I had the website where I was just writing about stuff. I didn't know shit about shit at that point, but I was writing yeah. a ton. And actually, the writing helped me un- help me learn, and it helped me discover interesting things. And I and I wrote a decent amount all through grad school. And then it's only been in the last I would say two or three years where it's actually felt really difficult to write. And I think it's because I've just gotten so deep into this field and this work. That it's really like I was overwhelmed by how little I understood what was going on. And that was a that's a difficult, difficult place to write from. And in some ways, I think I kind of forgot that writing is actually how I make sense of the world. And only in the last little bit of time have I started to come out of that a little bit and not be, not feel like I had to have something to say in order to to write, which maybe. You know, may not be surprising if you are familiar with my writing and don't like it, but uh, but writing, you know, writing is how I m- make sense of, of things and I want to be doing more of it. And I do, to your point, I think my wheelhouse with writing has always been these kind of short blog articles, a um, couple hundred words, maybe a thousand, twelve hundred words, uh, which is fine. And I think you can do a lot of really great writing in a short little um, container like that. But I want... Yeah. I want to do longer, more nuanced pieces of writing, uh, as well. And that is a muscle that I don't really have. And I'm only in the very early stages of, of starting to, to develop that. My blog writing muscles are a little bit weakened, but the, there's muscle memory there. My mm-hmm. like writing, you know, 50 pages on a thing. That's, that's not even a thing I've really done before other than like academically.
1: Yeah. So, well, cool. That was a little bit long.
0: Sorry everybody. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was fun. Got thanks for talking. the uh thanks for the interview. I mean, maybe yep. we can do like lightning round about what's going on at the the farm this week. Hit us with the uh the highlights.
1: Yeah, we'll 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 keep it we'll keep it short and quick here. Um I mean honestly, I think last time we left off I said, you know, we had just gotten past a, a temporary frost and that was pretty low. Did you low... just have bad frost again? Well, we're gonna get to that. That's tonight and uh, tomorrow. Um, so gotcha. last time we had talked, you know, it had gone flooding, and then it had gone really cold temperatures. So I had to hold off a bunch of planting. Things were really stressed out. Um, since then, it's been kind of, you know, up until now was a planting frenzy. We were getting a lot more stuff planted. Um, you know, since last time, the the onions have gone in, some more brassicas. I've started a lot of seeds for more summer stuff. I told you that was the exciting stuff. You made fun right. of me I did when I said fun that. Of you squash was an exciting summer vegetable and how exciting then, is a radish pretty boring and that's especially because i don't like i don't like eating them i, I described i saw a picture relatively recently of some radish. have you been harvesting radishes Oh yeah, they're a good. They're an early spring. They're crop.
0: handsome. That's like handsome vegetables
1: they, you grew. They're a pretty little guy. That's a French breakfast radish, the long, skinny ones where they're huh. they're white on the bottom and kind of a reddish pink up top. And they're long and skinny. I, ha- I have different. had a radish on like an egg or something in the morning at a restaurant. I think I think the classic French breakfast way to eat them is like those French breakfast radishes with butter and like something else, like you know, like Ooh. a good butter. Um, but here's the thing, I don't like radishes that much. I describe them as spicy dirt. I don't think <laughs> there's anything the I I'm coming around on them every year I try and pick a vegetable to find ways that I enjoy it you know it's like mm-hmm. like beets are another one that's like ah, I just I can't Beets are the worst. Yeah, no Anyone I Anyone who likes beets I am seriously suspect of you. Like why like you even some what sugar are you even water into some dirt and they I said eat this and you can get a hint <sighs> of sugar but it's it's covered in the earthiest taste you've ever. <laughs> it's uh, yeah it's a tough it's like one. If, it's it's tough, like if a
0: it's like if a, a worm turned into a vegetable.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess the earthy flavor is definitely yeah. <laughs> like a fat worm turned it's into a, fat a vegetable. One vegetable. Yeah, it's gross. So that one's gonna be pretty low on my list of working to enjoy it. But you know, um, I feel like uh, radishes I could come around to appreciate uh, sooner uh, than later. You know, I discovered that I really like rutabaga. I think rutabaga. What, what about great. parsnip? I love a parsnip. It's like a, a more mild uh, carrot. Um, I really enjoy parsnips. You know, they've got a nice I sweetness to them.
0: I forget that parsnips exist for 99% of my life except for when I'm talking to you. I don't know that yeah. I've ever made a choice to purchase a parsnip. Did you
1: know what it looks like? No, you said it looks like a carrot. It's white. It's like a bigger white carrot. It's a little bit more, more fibrous. Albino
0: carrot. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, they can look a little freaky. Sometimes they grow in kind of creepy <laughs> shapes and whatnot, but they're great. They're mainly used. Well, I say this mainly used in like fall stews. And like, ro- if you're going to roast a bunch of vegetables, let's say you're going to roast some winter squash I roast vegetables and all in. the time. I
0: should start getting some.
1: Yeah. You should throw them on there. They're really good. I mean, if you're roasting like, you know, whether that's like butternut squash, potatoes, sweet um, potatoes, parrots, long. Sweet potatoes. Sprouts. like, yeah, throw some, throw some parsnips in there. They're pretty good. All right. Um, anyways, uh, so, yeah, we've been, we've been harvesting a lot of radishes. But so we've been, we've been in the greenhouse. I have a lot of um, the summer crops started, basically. You know, I've got cucumbers, uh, summer squash, peppers. Um, I potted up my peppers, which means I kind of take them from this little stage threat and actually kind of put them into their individual cells, which is a very um, time-heavy process. But um, they like the process. When you pot them up into usually a bigger cell, you usually get a good growth out of them. And you want them to be pretty hardy and big by the time you put them into the field, usually. So that's kind of one thing I've been doing in the greenhouse.
0: Hey, question. Um, Last time yeah. we talked, you were concerned about the stuff that you had started in your little greenhouse, and but you had put them in the ground, and you and we were said, "Hey, we'll
1: check on them in a week and see how they're doing." Did they survive? Oh yeah, everyone's alive. Um, I mean, the one you know, some of the most stressed stuff um, in terms of yellowing. I told you that. I had all my different hypotheses. I think those are still fairly accurate for why they were stressed. Temperature fluctuation, crabby potting soil. Bad soil. soil. Yeah. Uh, But in the fields, they're, they're taking off. Um, I mean, I planted the kale and chard three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. And I could, I can maybe pick off the kale next week. I mean, it's really growing fast. Um, so all that stuff, the main one will be to keep an eye on the onions and scallions that I put in. They were also looking pretty sad, but, they've put on a lot of green growth since I put them in the ground. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. Wait, I Um, I thought scallions were just young onions. Is that not there? They're they're They are in the onion family, but they're a a different specific variety of onion in the sense that like, so green onions and scallions are the same thing. Um, And you know, you don't let, I think green onions are grown for the sense that they don't bulb up as quickly. They won't. You 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 usually pick them before they ever kind of start growing a bulb um, down at the soil level. But I think there is an actual um, oh. you know in the sense that like uh, a cabbage, broccoli, and Brussels sprouts are all in the same family. It's right. a slight thing that it was bred for within the family. So um, you know you want a better small stem on a green onion because that's what you eat versus right. a bulb onion. Um, so we put some of those in the ground and they're they're looking greener since I put them in. They also went in kind of yellow. Uh, again crappy soil that they were started in so we were in a planting frenzy uh, up until last week and then this week and i knew it was coming but this week we last night was down to 30 35 but we're in a valley oh. so that can always be colder and tonight's 35 as well so basically that on? told I Thought you were home I mean, free Honestly, yeah, be too. Everyone around here is like, "Oh, this is crazy." But I mean, every year they say like, "Oh, we get a you know we got a late frost in April and May." Like they're always like, "You be careful about putting stuff in the ground." So people like to say like, "This is crazy," but it seems to happen essentially every year. Um, there's going to be some level of frost later than because people used to pick. This is how the farmers' almanac stuff. People pick like an arbitrary date where usually you don't get a heavy frost afterwards. Well, things change pretty easily, and yeah, and usually we're not it's doing not great. always. And we're not doing great things for the Earth, and things are getting more sporadic and harder to track. And you know, severe thunderstorms at random times of year, eighty degree days in in March or you know February. Like things are happening because of the way (laughs) the Earth is responding to how we are affecting it. And but also like late frosts always happen. You I mean like they you can read back in like you know farmers almanacs or journals and stuff. I'll be like oh it was crazy you know. May May eighth, and it was you know a, a, a quarter inch of snow fell on the ground like it it yeah. down here like you know it happens um, so that's why I, I mean like none of this bothered me maybe it's because I'm I've talked about how I'm behind already because I don't right. have a heated greenhouse etc but like I don't have anything in the field right now that can't handle a 35 degree night um, for the most part I'm like I'm very I'm very last night everything was fine in the fields I covered 80 percent of the stuff in the row cover that we've talked about. Um, at most that row cover keeps the plant like one to two degrees warmer. You know, it's not a felt blanket you're putting on top of it. It's pretty thin <laughs> no, the It's meant, <laughs> it's meant, it's meant more for, for pests and bugs than it is for frost. But, you know, it's keeping the frost off the leaves, um, which is an important part. Um, but you know, I wasn't that worried about any of that stuff and still I'm not. The one thing I'm worried about is that I don't have a, a true greenhouse. And so, uh, my hoop house that I'm treating like a greenhouse can get pretty cold at night. Um, so I've, I've had to do some adjustments for these cold nights and that's basically, I mean, just some, you know, real <laughs> Jerry rigged looking situation there where all the plants that I'm worried about, which again is like summer fruits, cucumbers, peppers, those kind of all things. All the exciting ones. The exciting ones. Exactly. Yeah. Those are on the heat mat, which the heat mat is just a, a, you know, a thing that you can set a temperature for and you put a little probe in the soil and the heat mat warms up this, you know, two foot by six foot piece of paper, essentially looking thing, you know, plastic that goes on top mm. of the table and you put a little probe in the soil and you set it to the temperature where it says 80 degrees. As soon as that probe reads 80, turn off. And, you know, it'll keep the soil at a certain temperature because that's how certain seeds like to germinate at a certain temp. But I'm treating it as a heater, essentially. <laughs> so I have that heat mat cranked up to like 100 because it'll never get there. Um and the probe's not even in the soil. The probe is out in the air. Um, so unless the air gets up to 100, it's not going to turn <laughs> off, which is fine because it's not warm. It's not strong enough to heat an entire hoop house. Yeah. And so then I have you know, the plants that are I'm worried about on top of that mat. Then I have, again, some of that fabric draped over the top of it. And then I have a little space heater going specifically on that section. So um, basically sounds as long as like it sounds like you're about to burn down the hoop house. No, the heater's pretty far away from the fabric because I was really I was really worried about that. Honestly, like the heat mat, I'm not worried about it's causing a fire, but the, the space heater always makes me anxious. So it's pretty far away. I ran it last night to no problems, um, but so we'll see tomorrow. I mean, tonight is is pretty chilly, but I'm thinking hopefully the stuff will will eke by, and then fingers crossed we're we're home free. Um, How's Flossie gonna and, handle the the cold? You make him a little, nice little sweater. They've had much colder weather than a 35 degree night. I can tell you that. Remember, we had snow here not that long. You know, yeah, a month oh ago. yeah. Oh you, yeah. You <laughs> little duck boots. They're little naked feet on the cold ground. That's tough. <laughs> I think their feet are meant for uh, for handling lots of uh, weather that our feet are not. Um, and last time, like it was so cold that they're, like you know Flossie's pool was frozen solid, and I was out there breaking the ice and pouring fresh water in for Flossie. So I think they're feeling like totally fine. Yeah, um, all right. So that's kind of, I'm at a little bit of a lull because this cold weather is coming. Once I get through tomorrow night, I can kind of put some more stuff in the ground, start more seeds, kind of, you know, get past this point. Um, A couple other things. I mean, this week was a much bigger harvest. So, you know, you said you saw that we were harvesting radishes and whatnot. So previously, I had been harvesting one crop a week, you know, maybe whatever had come in from the hoop house. You know, I don't have a lot of hoop houses. So, if the radishes were ready in the hoop house, that's what I was harvesting. Maybe some greens, but finally the things I have out in the field are starting to size up. So this week I had five items that I was harvesting that were ready, um, between the hoop houses and the field, and that finally just made it feel a bit more <laughs> like a farm and a little bit more like a, you know, I'm actually I'm actually doing something over here. And so I mean, we went from. For example, we went from essentially a sixty dollars sale the week before between radishes and greens to a couple of our you know wholesale our clients to four hundred and eighty dollars this week. Ooh, so you know, rolling big in jump. that dough. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not uh, it's not the ready money, but it's definitely a jump for a one man farm to go from yeah, sixty no, to I'm Not actually being sarcastic, I could go for um, whatever bucks right now. But I mean, uh, it's it's also just nice to know that we can make that kind of money in you know april and i think next year if i have a better situation for starting seeds we can be making that money sooner too but um it is it is it does feel good to be knowing that i'm covering way more of the farm operation costs my own costs when um i can harvest this from the field from from four or five crops and that the demand was there that i could find you know through that meal kit company that we sell to through personal customers a lot of friends of the owner she has a lot of friends that are in nashville that they were honestly almost our biggest sales for the week, and then uh, a sale to a, a chef who's doing a farm to table dinner this weekend. So it was great to have you know the outlet for the stuff. I was a little worried when stuff was starting to, to size up that maybe we wouldn't build to move at all. So that was that was actually um, pretty motivating, and cool. hopefully we'll continue on from from uh, for the weeks to come as more stuff hopefully gets ready. Um, <laughs> I have on here brief mouse problem. Uh, had a, had started a bunch of seeds. Mouse had not been a problem at all. I killed I think, one earlier this year and it seemed to stop everything. Then one night was pretty warm. So I said, Hey, I'll leave the greenhouse door open. Um, and get some good airflow, whatever. Mouse must've moved in that night. Got some, so that's good mouse flow. He was like, this is pretty awesome that you're leaving this door open. Thank you. And he moved on in and he ate a bunch of stuff that night. So I was furious, and I was like, "Oh come!" And he just he sampled everything. He treated it like a buffet. He walked down <laughs> that greenhouse table, and he was like, "Beet tops, pretty good. Zinnias, that's a flower. I'll try it." And he was really open to just about everything. You could tell what was his favorite, what he didn't like. Some things like yeah, kohlrabi, real ratatouille
0: uh, situation.
1: It really was. And I do. I like. I mean, I like to personify him in my head, and then I, then he ends up. Yeah. You know, the moral of the story is, I killed three mice with a mousetrap, and um, <laughs> that's where the personification ends. <laughs> oh, man, but Yeah. That meant that basically, it was really frustrating because I we potted up all those peppers I was telling you about. That's like we had fifteen trays of peppers and eggplant, and he had been eating peppers and eggplant, and that's a high value crop. They take a long time to germinate. You know. I started these weeks ago, so I was like stressed. I was, like I can't have them eating these right now, so I had to move all of my trays of peppers and eggplants to my screened-in porch, um, which just felt more locked down, but it doesn't get good sun. So essentially, I was telling them, "Hey, just sit on the back burner here for as many days as it takes me to stop to kill all these mice. <laughs> and I'll move you back into the greenhouse where you can grow again." And you know, right now they were yeah. over in stasis, and, which was frustrating. It, it didn't set them back probably that far, but. I did have a, my screened in porch was full of them for about six or seven days as I set mouse traps and killed. As you went seven on a, a or, mouse not. Not. killing bender? <laughs> yeah, I think it was like four, four mice I killed. And it seems to be at a point now where they, it, it, I'm not seeing any action at night of them eating anything. Um, another stressful thing was that was my week to start all of my winter squash. And the one thing that mice genuinely love is the seeds of anything in that cucurbit family. So, <laughs> summer squash, cucumbers, winter squash, like, that's what they want to eat. And I was over here thinking, I need to start 20 trays of winter squash. It's expensive seed. Am I really going to start this and give this mouse essentially just, like, the best night of his life? Yeah. Or am I going to hold off until like, I kill the mouse? And so it was it was a little bit frustrating. Um, I had some, you know, again, talking about jerry-rigging, little setups, like, I had started all the seeds, then I had, like, wrapped fabric really tightly around the trays um because the seeds hadn't popped yet obviously to try and keep the mouse from being able to get underneath and it seemed to work um so i i've been past that i think hopefully knock on wood my my mouse problem's over that's good for for now i mean not over but (laughs) right (laughs) Um, the the, the mice never end then that's the that is the moral of the story is that the mice and pests in general they never end
0: no
1: um other than that, we talked about my CNG, the Certified Naturally Grown inspection um, was coming up. That was last Wednesday. Um, not much to comment, other than it was, you know, it was basically just like chatting with another farmer, a farmer friend, um, having her ask me a bunch of questions about how we're growing, how we're doing things, um, and really just to talk about. It. it was way more like it just felt like getting lunch and talking about farming, um, which was nice, nice to have the stress not there, like an organic certification process. Right, and so. Uh, i gotta turn that in next week um there's a couple open-ended questions that i need to sit down with with the owners and talk about uh, it's cool you know one of the parts of the certification is they want you to talk about and set like three sustainability goals for your farm in the future and that doesn't have to be sustainability in the sense that like we want to take care of the earth better what are the choices is economic you know sustainability like how hmm. what's a goal for making your farm more viable if that's this thing you want to choose right. is it you know, there's a lot of different little prompts they give you that you can kind of set you off to, to have a discussion. So That's we're going to cool. do that tomorrow. Kind of talk over the future of the farm and what's, you know, three things that we would like to, to actually work on. Um, then I can turn that in and just be done with it for the season, which will be nice to get that over with. Nice. And yeah, last today was because of the cold weather. I didn't really do much uh, in terms of in the field. So today I finally like sat down and reopened all the spreadsheets that I track my harvesting, my crop planning, I'm always making changes. So I re updated everything, which felt like one of those things where mentally I had been very like stressed out because I felt like there were little bits of information I knew in my head that I needed to put onto the spreadsheet or write down somewhere. I just needed to like brain dump everything. Right. And I finally that got a feels It feels good. It did. If I had just good today, I got all that information updated. And then also, which is crazy to think about. I need to start thinking about my late summer fall plantings um, and basically, you know, what do I want to plant? What's, you know, what crops, when do those need to go in by and where are they going to go? You know, what are they going to follow that's currently in the ground or going to be in right. the ground? Um, so, those are late July, early August plantings of stuff for the fall. So, just trying to get a better idea that it doesn't get to the point where it's mid July because it's been crazy and I'm picking tomatoes like crazy and I'm thinking, oh no, I was supposed to start my cabbage seeds a week ago in order to have them in the ground by the time I need to have them in the ground by. So, One of those things that I took hopefully was smart and took this day that felt like a rest day because of the cold to kind of set myself up for better success in the future. Who knows if um I'm sure there'll be changes that I'll make. But so That's cool. Busy. Busy, busy. Sounds like you're busy. Yeah. What about you? Did you ever get that virtual assistant? I did. Yeah. She's great. We
0: we can save that for next time. We're we're running along. but uh, no, she's great. She's done all sorts of like useful things already. Um, I am I am pleasantly surprised. Is
1: this her talking through a voice modulator? This has been her the whole time.
0: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I haven't. Well, I haven't trained. I, she is probably going to uh, post this uh, episode once I edit it and we get the uh, description written. Okay, that is something I showed her how to do, which is going to be kind of cool. Nice. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk more next time. I gotta. I gotta go to bed. Oh, sure. It's late for you. That's right. Nine oh (laughs) eight, baby. That's a farmer schedule you're on. (laughs) That's right. All right, Maxwell. Talk to you next week. See you, man. See you.